It's my great joy to welcome you today. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here at Dwell Church. Thank you. It is February. Or does anybody say February? Anybody say that? No. It's, it's weird, right? It is Super Bowl Sunday. Go Rams. I apologize, Tedeschi's. Hoping for an L.A. Super Bowl trophy. We need something here. We need a championship here. Or the sun, yes. <laughs> Today, we begin a new sermon series circling around our core values. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, if you don't like the language of core values, if that sounds a little too corporate for you, what we're talking about here is culture. What we're talking about here is what we celebrate, what we tolerate. Um, essentially, to the bottom of it is what makes us us, which is why we're calling this series, This Is Us. Yay! Over the, <laughs> over, the next, over the next four weeks, we want to peel back the layers on who we are and what, what kind of culture we intend to produce here at Dwell Church. And it circles around our core values. We have four guiding cultural principles that define what we believe in and how we behave in community and church family here. Uh, obviously, as a church, we value many things, but we have four central values um, that we consider core to us as we pursue Jesus, as we pursue knowing Jesus and making him known in this city. Those core four values are the way of Jesus, come as you are, church as family and local and global mission. This is what we're going to unpack over the next four weeks. I'm excited to share with you that Jackie will be preaching next week on come as you are, and Nick will be preaching the last Sunday of the month on local and global mission. It's going to be a great month here at Dwell. I encourage you to stay connected because these four core values really matter to us. Today, I want to start us off by preaching a message on our first core value, the way of Jesus. Would you begin with in prayer with me? Lord, we, um, we invite you to have your way here. Jesus, your way. We, we ask for it to descend on our hearts and to cleanse our minds, to transform us, that we would be renewed today. In your name, amen. In Scripture, as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, which is the book of Acts that follows the Gospels, we read the story of Jesus. He leaves heaven. He empties himself. He becomes man. He serves humanity. He's executed. He's resurrected from the dead. And then he has this awesome exit. I don't know if you've ever read it before, where he gathers his followers together. He gives them some instruction on what to do next. And then he ascends into heaven. And his disciples are left like standing in awe, mouths open, looking up at the clouds. And some angels show up and basically say, guys, go do what he just said to go do. And since that day, since the day that Jesus physically left this earth, every Christian has been presented with a very specific temptation to remake Jesus into a God who will serve our preferences. We're tempted to construct a version of Jesus who will give us permission to live whatever life we want to live. And sometimes what we do is we even go as far as finding scripture to back up that prejudice and that, that preference and that tendency. Here's what I mean. If I'm an angry individual, you know what my favorite Jesus is? It's the one that flips tables in the temple. And if I'm a rule breaker, I love the Jesus that likes to do miracles on the Sabbath just to piss off the Pharisees. And if I enjoy demeaning other people, I love reading about Jesus who calls the Pharisees hypocrites and whitewashed tombs and broads of vipers. 
Christians love to find and protect a version of Jesus who confirms our tendencies, who confirms our prejudices. You following? We're really good at this. 17th century French Blaise Pascal, he wrote, God made man in his image and man returned the compliment. Meaning, God made humanity in his image and then we've attempted to make him in our image. In every age and every culture since the time of Jesus, we've attempted to shape Jesus into a version of him that we would like based off of what we want for our image and our likeness. But who was Jesus? What was he actually about? What was he, in fact, about? When you read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus is about weaving divine and material together. We see that he's about life, that he's about wholeness and meaning and freedom. But I find it interesting that he also says, I am the way. So he doesn't doesn't merely suggest that we be about these things. He says, I am the way to weaving divine and material together. I am the way to life and wholeness and meaning and freedom. Jesus comes offering renewal, and we find it in him because there's life in him. But we also find life as we pursue his way. You see, Jesus was a wisdom teacher, and wisdom in his time, it was concerned, it revolved around the transformation of the entire human soul. Jesus wasn't just trying to get people to heaven. He came inviting humanity into into this radically new way to order the world. Which way of ordering the world? His way. He says, come to me, find wholeness in me, learn to live life the way I do, because I'm really good at it, because I invented life. We tend, though, toward inviting Jesus into our lives. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus, come be here with us. Come help my project that I'm working on. We tend to attach Jesus to our way rather than accepting his invitation to join his life his way. And the reason we we tend toward this approach is because his way is not the easy way. He called it the narrow path. It's the path, the path less traveled, it's, but it's the path that leads to life. And the, the, because this way is narrow, because this way is demanding, what we tend to do, what humanity tends to do is default to religion. Because religion tends to make us feel powerful and like we were doing something right. But religion, it, it prides itself on, on power and control and rules and correct doctrine and exclusivity. Funny enough, though, Jesus doesn't sit his followers down for theology class. He's not interested in merely passing information to them about God. He's not interested in teaching them a new religion. He's, he's interested in teaching them a new way to live, a way that, that sets his followers up for transformation, internal, external transformation because of his power at work in them. So when we talk about the way of Jesus here, when we talk about that being a core value for us, we're saying we commit to the person of Jesus because he is the way, and we, we commit to his approach to life, his way of life. So what is the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is the cross. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And what this means for us, this is really practical. What this means is that Jesus leads us to his cross, and then he leads us to our cross. The way of Jesus is the cross. It's the way of the cross, and he leads us to his cross, and then he leads us to our cross. Jesus leads us to his cross to receive his wild love for us, 
to receive his, his redeeming work in our hearts. And then what he does is leads us to our Christ to imitate a life of being broken and poured out for others. This is what we're going to break down today. And I want to show you some things that Jesus said regarding the cross as a way of life. If you brought your Bible or your Bible app on your smartphone, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We've got Bibles on the connection table in the back if you like holding a Bible. Smelling a Bible, like I like to say. Matthew 16. I'm going to have the text up on the screen as well. This is starting in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So Jesus tells his followers, he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that ultimately he's going to be killed by them. This would have stunned his disciples. They were not ready for this. If you read the passage just before this, they were just having a conversation about Jesus being the Messiah. They were, they were like, yeah, you're the Messiah. You're the one that's come. This is, this, you're the person we've been waiting for. They're finally getting it. We left families for you. We left our trades. We left our homes to follow you. The last thing they're expecting is that he's going to suffer many things and get killed. Anyone else experienced Jesus to be exceptionally skilled at disappointing our expectations for him? <laughs> he's really good at it. He has no intention of fulfilling our plans for him. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to suffer at the hands of of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These three groups made up the Sanhedrin, the highest court in Israel, meaning Jesus is going to be officially executed by the state and as an enemy of the state. And almost humorously, the disciples are so shocked by what he's saying that they miss the whole resurrecting from the dead thing. They don't even see that piece that he just said that. So classic Peter jumps in. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. He rebukes Jesus. And just as he's getting into the rebuke, Jesus cuts him off. And no, Jesus doesn't just say like, bro, you're wrong here. Jesus interprets this as a message from Satan. This is not of God. Your picture of reality is blurred. It's off. Because you're preoccupied with control and power and comfort and convenience, I'm not going to allow you to get in the way of the cross, in the way of my cross. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter must have just like, like just melted in this moment, right? And one way to interpret this is that Jesus was putting Peter in his place, meaning, Peter, your rightful place is behind me, not in front of me. Your job is to follow my lead, not tell me where I'm supposed to go. Then Jesus looks at the rest of his disciples, and it's like he says, I know you guys have expectations for me, 
I want to tell you my expectation for you. You want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Get your cross and get behind me. I'm about to demonstrate for you how to lay down your life for another. The cross. You know, Christians today view the cross as this cherished symbol. Forgiveness, atonement, unending grace, abiding love. But we've also done a pretty good job at ritualizing it. I would even say sanitizing it. First century Palestine, the cross represented humiliation and torture. It was an unrelenting instrument of death. It had no other purpose. The cross was not about religious ceremony or tradition or spiritual feelings. It wasn't about bling or doing a hand motion to help me hit a home run. The cross was the most painful and humiliating means of murdering a criminal. And on their way to their death, the Romans forced the criminals to carry their cross on their back. So when Jesus calls his followers to deny themselves, to take up their cross and to follow him, he's asking them to be willing to die physically, spiritually, for his sake. It's an absolute call to surrender. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Jesus is calling his followers to abandon their lives to God, to disown their ego and their self-promotion. He's asking for total resignation of their plans and their intentions and their will before him. Humanity wants to indulge self, not deny self. It craves gratification. It craves immediate gratification. It seeks sensual pleasures, carnal pleasures. And Jesus says, take up your cross, which means one thing. You're on your way to certain death. Your only hope is in resurrection power. Jesus invites his followers to the way of the cross because it's the only way that they will ever find true life. And I know that sounds backwards, but you never truly live until you walk to your death with Jesus. We don't get resurrection life without death to self. It's almost as if Jesus says to his disciples, do you, do you, think that, do you really think that living so nearsighted is worth compromising your soul? Is your eternity worth these momentary flashes in front of you right now? Living like there's no eternity is a foolish way to live. In fact, it's not really living. You want to truly live? You got to die. And this is one of the reasons I'm so compelled by Jesus, because he's not trying to draw crowds. He spoke truth. He spoke life. He spoke eternity, even if people didn't want to hear it, because Jesus easily drew crowds. They just flocked to him. Miracles, wisdom. He's got this, like, raw confidence about himself compassion mixed with it. They're calling him the Messiah. He's going to be the one that ushers in the new kingdom. Rome's got their boot on the neck of Israel, and Jesus is going to come in and take them out. But then he explains he's going to get executed at the hands of the people he's supposed to conquer. Quickly, his popularity starts diminishing, and his followers reject him. They could not, they would not put to death their ideas and their plans and their desires for him. They would not put to death their, their plans in exchange for his plans. In fact, it's not just that Jesus spoke truth. If you're reading through the Gospels, it seems at times that like, he's trying to even dissuade his followers from following him. Yeah, my way frees your soul. There's life, and it's really hard. 
You're going to get persecuted for following me. This is going to get ugly. And if I'm honest, this is not the message I hear from the American church today. Attract the biggest crowd possible. Grow the church as big as possible. Make following Jesus as convenient as possible. While Jesus seems to paint it, come follow me. You're going to face a lot of loss. You'll encounter a lot of pain. Maybe even because of me. So take up your cross and die. Because in dying, you're going to finally learn how to live. The cross The way of Jesus is the cross. Sometimes I like to think of what it would be like to have a conversation with someone who actually walked with Jesus. Maybe Mary Magdalene or John the Beloved or Mary of Bethany. She's my favorite in all of Scripture besides Jesus. If one of them came down from heaven to visit you today and they wanted to talk with you about Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, my guess is the conversation would be centered around Jesus nailed to wood. They wouldn't want to be burdened with your doctrine. They, want to, they wouldn't want to be bored by your social justice accomplishments. They, they'd probably have one question for you. Do you know the crucified one? Because if you don't know Jesus of the cross, you don't know Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. There's no genuine Christianity where the sign of the cross is absent. The cross is how we follow Jesus. It is his way. Brandon Manning put it this way, the cross is the signature of Jesus. I love that. God is love, and the cross was and is the ultimate expression of God's love for the world. Jesus didn't die at the hands of thieves and rapists and murderers and thugs. He died at the well-scrubbed hands of priests and lawyers and religious elites, society's most respected members. The Jews awaited a Messiah, but in their minds, his shameful death on that cross, that proved to them he wasn't who he claimed to be. The cross doesn't make sense to the worldly mind. It doesn't make sense when we're trying to to logic this thing out. Because obedience to Jesus, it leaves us weak and powerless in the world's eyes. When we commit to the way of Jesus, embracing the cross, maybe even celebrating the cross, power and pleasure possessions, privilege, they don't offer security like they used to. The way of Jesus, the way of the cross, it looks like madness to the world. But entering life through death, it's not a contradiction, it's a paradox. It's where death and life are attained in the same experience. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross, and the church is the church of Jesus only when it is stamped with his signature. We're followers of Jesus Only as long as we're standing in the shadow of the cross. Only as long as we take up our own crosses and follow him. An imitation of him carrying his cross. So Jesus invites each of us to accept our own crosses. To lay down our plans, to lay down our wills and our expectations for his. But it also means this. It means laying down our wounds. It means laying down our limitations and our personality defects the damage that other people have done to us from our conception until the day today, this is also our cross. For me, it includes getting fired from my first youth ministry position. It includes the loss of my first marriage. It includes the terror of abandonment. The haunting feeling that I'm only 
useful to others if, they're, if I'm needed. The belief that I have to perform well to keep close the people who matter to me. This is what Jesus the Christ has asked me to accept and allow him to redeem so that I can transcend it and then share it. New life, new wholeness, new power in Jesus and in his way. Your loss, your cross may include deep loss. The loss of a, of a deeply treasured relationship. Maybe your struggle to, to succeed at work in a, in a really antagonistic environment or a recent financial failure, or maybe ongoing struggle with a rebellious kid, or an unbearable loneliness, or depression, or anxiety. All this, more, Christ asks you to accept it, and then allow him to redeem it so you can transcend it and then share it. You see, in, in, in Jesus' passion, And in his death, he has experienced my pain and your pain, and he's made it his pain. When we approach the cross, we enter into something that has already happened in eternity, that we've been unified with Christ. We are one with him. And he's taken onto himself our pain, our anxiety, our fears, the discouragement that we carry with us, the the shame and the self-hatred. And the despair, it's all included on the cross when Jesus looks to heaven and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? His friends scattered, his honor was shattered, and his message was torn to shreds. He stood condemned as a criminal, yet this was the moment of our redemption. Why? Because his cry on the cross was our cry. So he invites us to our own cross as we allow those experiences, those pains to be redeemed by him so that we can know, so that we can feel that Christ is suffering in and through us. Because there's no way of healing from all these wounds, from all these pains, except through the love of Jesus that forgives and forgives and forgives and keeps no score of wrongdoing. So first, Jesus leads us to his cross. He invites us to allow our pain to be redeemed by him, our brokenness to be redeemed by them. And he calls us to die to our broken ways of living and relating to the world, relating to the people who make up our world, relating to our money and our food and our health and our possessions and our talents and our abilities. Jesus calls his followers to lay it all on the cross and to let it be executed so he can resurrect it with divine life. Are we willing is the question. Are you willing to lay down your plans, your dreams, your passions, your brokenness, your entire way of life in exchange for his way? And this is where communion so beautifully weaves in. The night Jesus was betrayed, he shared a final meal with his disciples, and this is what he told them. This is Luke 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. 
And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus told his followers, This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, which means good gift. My take, I don't think Jesus meant take communion in remembrance of me. I don't think Jesus meant anytime you receive these elements, remember the sacrifice that he did for you. Think about what he did on the cross and be grateful for it. I think that only scratches the surface of what was intended with this last supper. This is my body broken. This is my blood poured out. Do this. Allow your bodies to be broken. Allow your blood to be poured out. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. The cross, body broken, blood poured out for the sake of others. This is what he calls his followers to imitate, to do this in remembrance of him. In response to Jesus' sacrifice for us, his good gift to us, he invites us to become a good gift to others. That out of our gratitude for his good gift, we're invited to join him and with him become a Eucharist, become a good gift for the healing of the world. Your body broken, your blood poured out for the sake of others. Do this in remembrance of me. And maybe this is why the world wants very little to do with the church. Because we've learned to limit the way of Jesus to Jesus. We've learned to limit the way of the cross to Jesus, that it was his good gift to us. Yes, this is Jesus' good gift. Yes, Jesus accomplished something powerful and victorious and transformative on the cross for us, but we must not forget that we're here to join Jesus in healing the world. We're here to serve and bless and elevate those around us, to give life so that others may receive life. You're on the planet to join Christ in the renewal and the redemption of his creation, and it comes by way of the cross. The Last Supper wasn't about a weekly ritual. It wasn't about just remembering. It went far beyond that. Jesus offered an action to be imitated. It was a sacred mime for his community. He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it open, and he gave it to those around him. This is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup, and he passed it around to his friends, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The cross, body broken, blood poured out for the sake of others. This is the invitation. To take your life in your hands, to give thanks for it, and to choose to break it wide open, to pour yourself out generously for those around you so that it may bless them and heal them. What a wild invitation. I mean, who lives this way? Inconvenience your life for the good of those around you. Who purposefully wakes up in the morning, taking their hands and their life in their hands and glorifying God with it, thanking God for it, and then choosing to be 
broken wide open and inconvenienced and poured out so that others can experience wholeness and healing. Who lives that way? It's not the norm. It's not what we see every day. But isn't there something deeply compelling about that? I mean, it's much more compelling than a life that's committed to comfort and convenience and profit. The way of greed and accumulation and ego and narcissism and radical selfishness. In our world, in our culture, would the way of Jesus, would the cross, would this not stand out? A person committed to imitating Jesus, severely inconvenienced, putting the needs of others in front of their own, body broken, blood poured out for the sake of others, would this not stand out like light on a hill in the dead of night? Every soul bears the mark of their divine maker. So Jesus invites his followers to live in such a way that we honor them. He invites us to be broken and poured out for the sake of others because all others are children of God. This is why I love the word namaste. Literally, literally translated, it means the, div- the divinity in me salutes the divinity in you. I love that. The image of God in me acknowledges the image of God in you. Something infinite and mysterious abides deep in me. And from this, this light, from this depth, I honor it in you. What if this was our way of ordering the world? The, the, the foundational assumption that we woke up with, that we carry, that we allow to be the fuel everywhere we go, pushing us towards every person that we encounter for the day, despite reputation, despite mistakes, despite theology or political affiliation, we're divine, all of us. And so we choose to treat each other that way. I'll tell you this, if, if we had that in mind, it'd make it a lot harder to abuse another. It'd make it a lot harder to belittle another or suppress or bully or discriminate against another. And it would probably make the cost of the cross, body broken, blood poured out, probably make that cost a lot more worth it too. The truth is, despite reputation, despite our mistakes in theology and political affiliation, we all are divine. And as followers of Jesus, you've been invited to take up your cross. Our city needs your story. Your passions, your gifts, your talents, your unique approach to living life. You are a Eucharist. You're a Eucharist. You're a good gift to be poured out and broken for others. We need you to give yourself. Our city, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, they need you to give yourself. Body broken, blood poured out for the sake of others. Today we're going to do something a little different. Maybe you noticed we didn't take communion after the second song this morning. It's because I want to take it together right now. I want to lead you today in receiving Jesus' good gift to us and then becoming a good gift to those around us. I want to invite up the worship team. We have two stations at the front here, and I would like to invite you now to come take some masa and dip it in the juice and then go back to your seat. Don't eat it just yet, and then I'm going to lead us um, in sharing this meal together. So you can come up now. And I want to invite you to stand with me.
the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, what happens in this sacred ritual is we gather at the table to be reminded of the cross, the way of Jesus, his body broken, his blood poured out for the sake of others. We gather at the table to be reminded of our need for grace, that at this table, at this altar, you bring whatever you need to bring to it. Whatever brokenness, whatever failure or regret or pain or grief, you even bring your joy and you bring your gratitude to it as well. We bring all of it, our whole selves, to the table of Jesus and we receive from him his good gift, his body broken, his blood poured out. And then we take up our crosses in remembrance of him. Our bodies broken, our blood poured out for the sake of others. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. seated. At the core of our faith, at the center of the Jesus tradition, is a table. It's a table where we gather around bread, around wine, where everyone is welcome. We gather to remind ourselves of God's good gift to us, to reflect on his body broken and blood poured out for us, for our salvation and our healing and our redemption. And we gather around this table to be reminded that we are a good gift as well. And we're invited to be broken and poured out for others. For the good of our city. For the love of our neighbor. And maybe you've been told you have nothing to offer the world. Maybe you've been told you're a screw-up. That you'll never amount to anything. Or maybe you tell yourself all of that. That you're boring. That you'll never accomplish anything great. Today I want to boldly declare in faith and in joy that you are a living and breathing good gift. That you're here, that you're needed. I challenge you to reframe, to reimagine what you do every day to be holy. The way you edit videos or cut hair or write code or teach yoga or make art how you parent your children, how you manage your employees, how you forgive those who have wronged you. I challenge you to give yourself in love to the people who make up your world, to allow yourself to be body broken, blood poured out in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for you as we join him in blessing our city and offering hope and offering healing and offering wholeness because this is the way of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. 
And not just as a good gift to us, Lord, but thank you that you demonstrated so well how to do it. And that you believe in us and that you are offering us courage to imitate you in the way of the cross. I pray during this moment, whatever is needed, not what we think is needed, but Lord, but what you know is needed in this moment, would you meet us here and transform us in that way? Lord, if we just need to sit in silence and hear your love for us, may that be overwhelming. If we need to join in song and offer you our love, may that stir inside us. We've got prayers at the back by the connection table. If we need to stand with a friend and ask someone to pray over us, God, I pray that you would meet us there powerfully, that you would heal us in these words as we gather in your name. Enable us and empower us in the way of Jesus, in the way of the cross, for the sake of others. We ask all this in faith in your name, Jesus. Amen.